Hello and welcome to the Personal Investor Podcast. I'm Ed Monk. Today on the show, we're taking in a plethora of news affecting investors this week, including a new high for the UK stock market, the prospects of a pensions tax break and the case for gold right now. If you enjoy the show, please rate us, share us or leave a comment wherever you get your podcasts. There's been plenty of news to occupy investors over the past week, so the running order for the pod this week is something of a mixed bag. We'll get to the new all-time high for the UK stock market, no small milestone in itself, plus why gold has been delighting UK investors just recently. But we're going to start today with the news that pensions might, might be about to get more generous, at least for a lucky few. To discuss all of it, I'm joined by Tom Stevenson, Investment Director here at Fidelity. Um, Tom, welcome along. Uh, First up today, then, is uh, the lifetime allowance for pensions. About a week ago, there were press reports beginning to emerge that the lifetime allowance for pensions could be up for review. Perhaps we'll start, though, Tom, with what it is, first of all, before coming on to why the government might want to change it. So... Yeah, so the, the lifetime allowance is the maximum amount that you're allowed to hold in your pension. It's, it, it's not how much you're allowed to pay into your pension. No. It's the total of your contributions and their growth, um, which, is, uh, which is a bit of a gripe for some people because they think, you know, I'm being punished for actually looking after my future and, and choosing good, good investments. So it's currently just over a million pounds. I think a million and 73,000. One million and 73,100 pounds. Oh, okay, so I was pretty close, <laughs> pretty close. So, I mean, that sounds like a lot of money. Uh, and indeed, more than a million pounds is a lot of money. But uh, when you think about how much income that might, that might provide you um, in retirement, um, it's not a huge amount of money. And actually, for most yeah. people, wanting to have a comfortable retirement is probably a sensible target for them. Yeah, a, mil- a million pounds sounds like a huge number. As you say, if you're working out your income based on 4, 4% of your, your total pot, 5%, mm. it's a decent, well, it's a very good retirement yeah. income. But It's more than the average income. but Yeah, but when you consider the likely incomes these people would have been mm. enjoying pre-retirement, it's, it's, it's not a great deal. Um now, given that this tax, ch- that, that what happens when you breach the lifetime allowance is that money withdrawn faces large tax um, charges, this 55% tax charge, that can be what happens on lump sums taken on money over and above that lifetime allowance. Mm. Big amounts, punitive amounts of tax. But these are high earners. Um, they're by any measure wealthy. Why might might the government want to spend political capital making that kind of change? What wider benefits could there be? Well, I mean, one of the one of the big problems with the British economy at the moment is that people are stopping work. People in their yes. older years uh, have left the workforce. This was particularly the case during the during the pandemic, and they and they're not not returning. And um, that's having a um, a negative impact on the productivity of the UK economy. I mean, essentially, the the UK uh, the, the the growth in the UK economy is a, is a combination of the number of people working um, and the productivity that how you know how how efficiently those people are working. Mm. Um, so, if you've got fewer people, you have to work much more efficiently to have the same amount of output. Unfortunately, we we don't have a great record of working more efficiently. So, um, not great productivity falling people in in the workforce is not great for economic growth. So that's the incentive for the government to to try and encourage people to stay in the workforce or indeed to come back into the workforce uh, at a later age to to create the growth which 
they need to create the tax income to pay the bills. Yeah, and I guess this speaks to the logic that, that there are there is a group of people, uh, like, like we say, you know, high earners. So this is not the typical situation, but they will be late on in their careers. They'll be targeting retirement and the kind of income they can get from a pension. They're going to be shoveling quite large amounts into their pension to get it to the kind of maximum level before they retire. If they hit this sort of limit, this lifetime allowance, that might just be the trigger for them to say, well, do you know what? that that'll do you mm. know and if they know that if they earn uh, beyond that limit fine they can keep the earnings but it's not going to help them in terms of pension planning so that might just be the nudge that they need it's been a particular problem in the nhs amongst um senior medics because i mean their situation is slightly different they have divine benefit pensions and the lifetime allowance applies in a particular way to define benefit pensions i'm not going to get into that but they are affected by it mm. that's the, that's the thing we need to uh, understand for this conversation um so potentially were they able to save more that could keep them in the workforce for longer yes that's right and it, and, and and it is all it's it's, it's the doctors that tend to get uh, mentioned uh, in in this regard they tend to be higher earners many of them um uh, due to the way in which the final salary schemes and this lifetime allowance works. Many of them are at or, or nudging up against that limit. And, and they are indeed saying, well, you know, A, I'm going to stop working or B, I'm just not going to do the overtime because it's mm. just it's not worth it for me to do that. And that's a that's a problem for the NHS. Yeah. So if there's a policy aim of keeping more people in the workforce at older ages, that this this change to the lifetime allowance, should it ever happen? I mean, it's a big question mark. We all always get a lot of special pleading, don't we? about making the system more generous for these sort of supposed wider gains. We'll see if it happens. That would be a sort of carrot, you could say, to keep people in the workforce. There can be sticks as well. And actually, Tom, before, well, in the, in the time between me scripting the podcast today <laughs> and us coming on to, re, to record, there's been some other news concerning pensions, which is um, a paper from the IFS, the Institute for Fiscal Studies, saying that actually the change they would make to the pension scheme is to make it less generous for high earners, to remove in particular or to reduce um, the 25% tax-free amount that people can take from pensions, presumably because... Well, one, addressing inequities in the system as they see them. But if you reduce that lump sum, that, that lump sum is something that people often use to kind of kickstart their retirement, mm. maybe their early retirement. It enables them to kind of get going um, in those early years of retirement and give up work. Mm. Um, the point of all this is that the pension savings regime, as always, is a target for governments to raise money, to change behaviour. Um, you can never rely on it saying the same yes and it becomes a political football um doesn't it always and you're right in the run-up to a to a budget we always have a lot of speculation about what may or may not happen and that in itself is a is a negative um because if people don't feel that they can rely on uh the pension uh system uh remaining understandable and remaining unchanged Mm. throughout their their working life then they will be less inclined to save money uh in a pension and 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 that is not a good thing because we should be encouraging people to save and that 25 percent um tax-free uh cash payment at the start uh, of of your retirement is one of the great attractions of of pensions so um you know i i think it, it would be good if pensions were left alone actually and not mm-hmm. and, and and the government didn't fiddle around with them um for the reason i say we need to encourage people to have faith in the pension system so that they are inclined to use it 
Okay, well, um, there's, we could return to this topic again and again. We probably will mm. as it emerges in the news. But we're going to move on for now, Tom, because, as I've said, a few things to discuss today. The second uh, point I wanted to get to was uh, concerning gold. It's a, a topic that you've written on this week, uh, and in particular why gold has been particularly rewarding for British investors. Now, we've spoken in the past about the case for gold, um, what it's supposed to do, when it works and when it doesn't, but there's no doubt that in the past few months at least, it's worked for British investors to hold it. So what's happened? Yes, well, uh, the the key thing here is currencies, because uh, the gold um, price is denominated in dollars. Usually when we when we talk about the gold price, we tend to talk about it uh, in in dollars Um, and for various reasons to do with um, uh, interest rates in in the US uh, largely. Uh, The gold price um, has been quite disappointing um, uh, in recent years. I mean, actually, in dollar terms, if you go back to 2012, um, the, the the gold price was higher than it is today, so that 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 leads people to think, well, gold has been really rather a disappointing investment. However, um, for us, for an investor in the UK who is um, uh, purchasing uh, gold in sterling terms, because of the devaluation of sterling against the dollar, um, the gold price is actually at or close to its all time high currently. And if you look back over the last 20 years or so, um, gold has been a really very good investment for a uh, sterling-based investor. And it's something which has kind of gone under the radar because of because of the the lens through which we look at this particular investment, we think about it in dollars. We don't really notice that in pound terms, it's actually done rather well. It's a little like uh, in stock market terms. Um, when we talk about the stock market, we tend to think about the FTSE 100. Um, and as we know, and we've talked about you know many times before, the FTSE 100 is not actually a very good describer of the health of the, 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 the stock market, or rather it's quite a narrow description of, of the health of the stock market. If you look at the FTSE 250, for example, it's, it, it's given you a totally different experience. Mm. So I think that's what I was trying to highlight in, in the piece that I wrote, that actually it, it matters the lens through which you look at an investment. Yeah, and it's really interesting, you know, what this, what this, or how an ordinary investor should respond to this. I mean, I'll talk to my own experience here. I've been on a journey when it comes to to gold. I was just very sceptical of it for all the reasons that people will trot out. It doesn't produce an income. It's not actually productive. It's probably there's a there's a drag on your return because there's a cost to store gold somewhere along the line. Um, but then I began to see the attraction of holding a certain amount at the margin as a inflation hedge in the long term, a sort of um, kind of worst case scenario hedge. Mm-hmm. Then you look at the last, the experience of the last few months, uh, and the and and the returns that UK investors have got from gold in the way that you describe, it's mapped on almost exactly to currency movements, mm-hmm. right? So I'm just wondering, can I really disaggregate all of that? when I invest in gold, am I just going to basically, is it a punt on the pound versus the dollar at the end of the day, which is something that can work in my favour, but I really have no sort of visibility or view about it. You know, what do you think? Well, I'm not sure that that's the way to look at gold, actually. I I, I think I, I would certainly not 
think of it as a punt, although clearly some people do invest in gold as a, as a speculation. Uh, they expect it to go to go up in value. I think its value to investors is slightly different, actually. I think its value is as a diversifier in a portfolio because it behaves differently from uh, the other principal assets, from from bonds and uh, and and from shares. It can actually smooth the the ride for an investor through the cycle, and that was certainly the case last year, where um, gold didn't do brilliantly. It was mm. pretty much ended the year at the same level that it started the year, and it was it was a bit up and down uh, during the year. But that was actually um, quite helpful for investors in a year in which the S and P five hundred, for example, fell by by 20%. Mm. So I think a little bit of gold in a portfolio uh, for that diversification uh, reason, let alone, uh, you know, it's, it's safe haven characteristics, it does, it does tend to hold its value over time. Um, uh, In inflation adjusted terms, it tends to do well when things are not going well in the world around you mm. um so for all sorts of reasons i think a little bit i mean we you know i don't think we're talking more than you know five possibly ten percent maximum mm. in a portfolio but you know a little bit of your portfolio can i think profitably be held in gold okay well just finally on this topic before we move on tom um give, given it is impacted by by currencies let's let's think about that for a moment it's notoriously difficult to predict what's going to happen with currencies but it seems, well, you tell me if this is right or not, but the, the pound seems to have appreciated against the dollar. That seems to have coincided with a slight divergence in terms of monetary policy on either side of the Atlantic. Mm-hmm. It looked like rates were peaking. Well, inflation was peaking sooner in America. Rates were more likely to come down sooner in America. That was good for the pound potentially. Uh, what's the situation now and in the months ahead? I think that remains the case. I think that... Um uh, I think that the 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 differential between interest rates on uh, either side of the Atlantic uh, is is going to narrow. Uh, I think that that's a positive uh, for the pound. I think that the dollar is likely to um, depreciate a little bit um, from here, um, and uh, and that would tend to be a positive for um, assets such as gold. It's also a positive for assets such as emerging market equities for example yeah. so you're right to that you know we do need to focus on currencies even if um it's very difficult to predict which way they're going to go okay well finally today tom probably the news that actually is front of mind for most investors but we've spoken about it on the pod before so i'll come to it last um it is that we have now finally hit a new record high for the FTSE 100. And um, we spoke about this last month, which was a bit of a kiss of death. We spoke about it, and it as, as if it was about to pass its record. Never quite did, but now it's finally done it. What's given UK shares the push they needed to get to this new high? Well, I, I think that what's happened is uh, that worries about inflation uh, have dissipated uh, somewhat. Worries about interest rates have dissipated somewhat. Uh, and also the outlook for growth in, in various parts of the world, and in particular parts of the world which are important for the UK stock market. I'm thinking in particular about China. Um, China is important to the UK stock market because of the, uh, the weighting of commodities, um, oil and gas and industrial metals. Uh, within the UK stock market. So growth in in China is good news for those companies. That's good news for the UK stock market. 
Um, and that has provided us with the, the, the final push to get us over the, the line, 7,900. We closed at the end of um, last week, just over 7,900. Yeah. And close again today. It's gone, gone up. Yeah. And um, so we've made it. And now I think, you know, as we talked about last time, we talked about this subject. A bit of context is important here. You know, at 7,900, we are about 15% above where we were 23 years ago. Let's not forget that. You know, level the, of the index. The, the level of the, the FTSE 100 index uh, was nearly 7,000 at the end of 1999. So the UK stock market has, has been somewhat disappointing over that period for reasons that we, that we well understand, the lack of exposure to the big growth story of the last 15 years or so um, technology. Um, uh, however, it's good news. You know, we have mm. we've moved on to it. We've moved on to a new high. And for people with uh, investments in the UK market, and many of us do have a bit of a home bias in our investments. Uh, that's obviously a positive. Yeah. And, and it, th- there does seem to be a sort of a lightening of the mood, doesn't there? And actually, there was a decision from the Bank of England last week. I think um, they raised rates by half a percentage point. That's that's negative for the stock market, um, typically, or mm. certainly talks to uh, the economy slowing down. Um but the commentary was a, actually a big change, wasn't it? It was suddenly, well, we, we you know, we're, we're now going to wait and see. We're going to only raise rates if we see inflationary pressures. The assumption that they're going to continue to rise and rise and rise has been quelled somewhat, would you say? I mean, mm. notwithstanding the fact that you'll also get Bank of England members who will pop up in the news saying, oh, well, no, you know, they, you know they're probably going to rise again. You always mm. get that sort of balance, but it does seem more dovish. I think the mood is more dovish. I think the expectation is that um, interest rates on both sides of the Atlantic are getting closer to their ultimate peak. I think there is a question mark over the extent to which that has now been priced into markets because, uh, you know, the US market, for example, is 15 percent above where it was three months ago uh, in October. Mm -hmm. So I think there is a risk that the market has slightly got ahead of itself. I don't think that uh, the market is about to take off. Um, uh, I think that we may even revisit that October low before we, you know, get a get a secure um, platform for the market to, to, to rise again. But I don't think it's going to go much lower than that. And that I think for investors is a good place to be because if we bounce along at the bottom for you know, six months or so while while earnings start to recover and we pull through a uh, potential uh, recession, that's a good opportunity to start um, building your investments at, a, at an attractive price. I also think it's worth making the point that there is a big difference in valuation terms between the US market that I've just been describing and the UK market, despite the fact that the UK market is at an all-time high. Mm-hmm. It's half the price in terms of valuation multiple uh, as the um, as the US market. Uh, and I think that the UK still has considerable attractions because of that. Okay, okay. Well, Tom, uh, a bit of a jump around of, of various <laughs> topics there, but um, that is all the time we have for today. Thanks for joining me. Thank you. Please note that the value of investments and the income from them can go down as well as up, so you may get back less than you invest. Investors should note that the views expressed may no longer be current and may have already been acted upon. This information is not a personal recommendation for any particular investment. If you are unsure about the suitability of an investment, you should speak to one of Fidelity's advisors or an authorised financial advisor of your choice. Overseas investments will be affected by movements in currency exchange rates and investments in emerging markets can be more 
volatile than other more developed markets. Reference to the specific securities should not be construed as a recommendation to buy or sell these securities and is included for the purposes of illustration only. Tax treatment depends on individual circumstances and all tax rules may change in the future. Withdrawals from a pension product may not be possible until you reach age 55, 57 from 2028. This podcast may not be reproduced or circulated without prior permission. No statements or representations made in this podcast are legally binding on Fidelity or the recipients. This podcast is meant only for UK residents and does not constitute an offer or a solicitation in any jurisdiction in which it may be unlawful to make such an offer or solicitation.